This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from May 23rd. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. My scripture is taken from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. And if you'd like to read along as I read aloud, it is found in the Old Testament section of your pew Bibles on page 764. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones live. And I answered, O Lord God, you, you know Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause Ruach enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put Ruach in you and you shall live. Live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no Ruach in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the Ruach. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the Ruach, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O Ruach, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and The Ruach came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place in you in your own land Then you shall know that I am the Lord, and I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. I know that I say this, but I I don't say this very often. This is definitely one of my top ten favorites. If you can't tell as I start reading this, I get excited about it. When I was a kid, I remember my dad preaching this sermon, and and then automatically we as a congregation started singing, dim bones, dim bones, dim 
dry bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones, right? We, we, it's still stuck in our heads sometimes, but that, that song just automatically pops into my head and I just get into this moment, right? But it's fascinating because in the lectionary text, this is one of those that we only get to read once every three years, right? And it happens to fall on today. And I don't know if it necessarily fell on today or if I just decided to do it today, probably the latter. On, but because what happens usually is, is that when we get to this moment, we always read Acts chapter 2. And Luke's interpretation of what happens when the Holy Spirit ascends upon all of these people and they start speaking in tongues and there's tongues of fire and multiple languages and confusion and people are astonished and amazed. And then they leave from that place and change the world forever. You see, it's really important as we talk about this that the story that we talk about here in Ezekiel, it, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Jesus. It's talking about the, the nation of Israel. And somehow, the nation of Israel has lost hope. Hope in humanity, hope in the world. It, it's, it's written, uh, Ezekiel's written by a Judean priest. And along with his compatriots, was ex exiled to Babylonia in about 597 B.C. Ezekiel is writing in a time of national death. The hope is that his message becomes a message of hope. It's a confession of assurance that God will yet restore his people. In this chapter, Ezekiel depicts Israel as a gargantuan bone bag of desiccated skeletal remains that fill the valley after some disastrous battle. I mean, seriously, what metaphor could be more hopeless than that? And yet, the prophet is commanded to speak ruach. Now remember, that's my favorite word of all time. It's the life-giving breath of God the Creator. And Ezekiel has been given the Ruach to speak to these bones. And in the vision, the bones regather and reconnect. And, and the meaning is clear. This people will yet be raised to become new and enlivened people. Veni Spiritu in, in Latin. Which means welcome Holy Spirit. Our Lord and giver of life. It's, it's one of those moments that Ezekiel describes an impossible scenario. He talks about bones, and they're even bleached. They're dry. They're completely desiccated, sitting in this valley. There's no life to be found in them whatsoever. And yet, with God's life-animating ruach, it une unexpectedly generates human flesh, it's almost like hitting the rewind button at the end of a movie and watching the action in, in reverse. The question then becomes, if God can reclaim such a hopeless future after all, I mean, desiccated and buried bodies never attend high school reunions, right? Then it can mean only one thing, that with God, all things are possible. And such a theme 
continues to resound throughout scripture in a plethora of images that inspire hope for the future. You think about it as they're in Babylonia uh, and, they're, and they're exiled, they have been isolated. They've been relegated to their homes or taken away from their homes and are not allowed to return. They find themselves in the midst of being away from everything they've ever known, away from the familiar, stuck away from what was familiar. Does it sound familiar? And then all of a sudden, Ezekiel has a vision from God that says he can bring life even to dead, dry, desiccated, bleached bones. Bringing flesh and sinew and skin back to these things. And, and, and of course, in, in the story that we just read, they, they, they have no purpose until the Ruach is breathed into them. Beautiful imagery that takes place with this. In the midst of hopelessness. Some of you remember what it was like after Katrina. And I have no idea why it's been in my mind lately. I, I, I've been trying to find other things to talk about other than COVID. But for some reason, after Katrina has been stuck in my brain a lot over the last week. Maybe it's because on our anniversary dinner, we went and ate Cajun food. I, I don't know. New Orleans was a place of hopelessness after Katrina. Somehow, some way, I had gotten on some sort of search and rescue list uh, in Garfield County when I was working at Central Christian Church in Enid. And when Katrina happened, very shortly after, I get a phone call now that I'd moved to Lynchburg, Virginia, asking for me to come and help in New Orleans several days after Katrina. And there was parts of search and rescue that were involved. And then there were parts of construction. And I will never forget that moment because it just, it just seems like it never really happened, right? I was gone for like almost two to three weeks. And Carmen and I still don't remember me being gone. But I have these images in my head of being in New Orleans. I remember going into New Orleans and everybody automatically thinks Bourbon Street. Because that's where everybody goes, right? You get your beignets, there's jazz and blues clubs and all that stuff and voodoo shops all the way down. But nobody thinks of downtown where the skyscrapers are and all of the stuff. And I remember going into downtown and it was completely empty, but the water was still all the way up to the first floor of these skyscrapers. And there were people in the second floor of these buildings because they couldn't get out. And there were good days, but a lot of it felt hopeless. Whole sections of town gone, underwater. And here we are floating above the tops of it. Praying, honestly, to not find anyone. Because by this point, most of the people we would have found would have been dead. And then... I remember feeling like there's something wrong with this world. It almost lost a sense of my love for humanity because in the midst of this, 
the whole world seemed to just lose their mind. Sound familiar? You know, contrary to popular belief, the media does not necessarily always tell you the truth. So here we are in New Orleans and Mississippi and Alabama, and we're trying to make sense of what's going on and trying to figure out, prioritize what we needed to do first. Find people. Issue number one. Number two, find dry land for said people. Issue number three, we need to feed these people that we found and get them to dry land. Then we need to house them until we can get them to their place. And, and please understand, there were thousands of people displaced. And I remember very clearly as I'm driving back to Virginia, driving down the road and there are semi-trailers pulling mobile homes along I-20 and leaving them on the side of the road because the bureaucracy kept them from coming into town. And I remember leaving New Orleans, driving through Mississippi and getting through Alabama and getting back to Virginia to my home that had air conditioning and heat. A loving wife, food on the table, feeling safe, yet discouraged that I couldn't do more. That we couldn't do more. Then fast forward a year later. Now I'm working with the Christian church in Virginia. And well, it was several years later, but in my mind, it's only a year. And being asked to bring a construction crew, a mission crew full of kids and adults to come and help rebuild New Orleans and Mississippi and Alabama in a week. <laughs> so you go down with all kinds of high hopes and excitement and you, you come down there with this idea that we're going to help all of these things and it looked exactly the same as it did when I left years ago. Whole buildings completely emptied and left there to rot. Homeless people running all over the place because there was nowhere for them to go because the trailers, by the way, are still on I-20 outside New Orleans. Remembering in this moment that there's a place in my head going, okay, God, humans can do better than this. We can do better. We can be better. And then finding the midst of hope, junior high and high school kids, being welcomed by these folks, fed hot meals in their homes that were le what was left over being treated as if we were royalty coming to help them, being treated as if we were a part of their family, and even though they knew we were only going to be there a week, that in some way or another we had become saviors to that community, even if it was only for 24 hours. And finding hope in the midst of hopelessness became a reality to me as I felt the Ruach of God being put into my soul yet once again and given a glimpse of the reality of humanity. You see, Pentecost is about bringing hope in the hopeless. 
There are moments that it feels as though there's a hopelessness of our future. And even in that moment, we find ourselves in the midst of those impossible seams. All of a sudden becomes possible. God creating life out of death is our literal bread and butter, right? As Christians, we believe in Jesus Christ who physically dies, physically raises from the grave, and physically ascends into heaven. And that gives us hope. In the story of Ezekiel, that it wasn't necessarily about God. In the, I mean, the Jesus. In that moment, it's about Israel finding the presence of God out of their hopelessness. So here you have two very unique stories next to each other in tandem that bring hope even in the most hopeless of times. And in that place, God's breath is what brings life into people. Now the part that I like to take from this story is as Ezekiel God gives this Ruach, this life-giving breath to him, and he's able to bring life out of these dead bones. In the story in Acts, which is about Jesus, mind you, God gives this breath of life to the people that are standing there, and those that are standing there take that breath of life, and they spread it like wildfire. Hence the reason Pentecost is all about the flames. In the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, all of God's breath, God's presence is always shown in the place of fire. Moses in the burning bush. You know, you get the idea? Here in this place, God's presence comes upon tongues of fire above people's heads and they, their lives are changed and it spreads like a wildfire. Fire. And all of you in Oklahoma know what that looks like. Because if the wind blows, it, it can jump over a road. And it just keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. Imagine what it would look like if you took the Ruach of God that you've received and spread it into the world. In a world that feels hopeless, we have hope. We believe with every fiber of our being that Christ has come to save us, to forgive us of our sins, and we find hope in that moment. Not hopelessness. We come to that life-giving, animated breath that turns impossibilities into possibilities. God, historically, regardless of what we want to think or what we want to believe, has worked in spite of, despite, through, over, under, and around to enable people to achieve worthy goals, bring hope to the masses. It becomes our moment to find our resurrection in the valley of hopeless and to be resurrected into a life-giving ruach-giving breath to the entire world a message of hope regardless 
of how we feel, God continues to work through us, even in the midst of those moments of chaos, hopelessness. So our impossible scenes of our life are not impossible to God. Because we believe with our whole being that nothing is impossible God, in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.